Harry Nice gets underway. Stage 169.4, frigid, undulating and wintry kilometres uh, through the Chevreuse Valley in part, passing through the Rambouillet Forest to the west of Paris, just 10 kilometres, in fact, from the Palace of Versailles. This is typical Paris, not Paris-Roubaix, Paris-Nice fair um, as it loops around uh, before it starts to race towards the sun eventually. It took a little while for the breakaway to go and then eventually two riders got up the road, including Paul Orsolin from Normandy, from Livero, the home of one of the smelliest cheeses in all of France and a rider who spends his winter running half marathons as he did this year the Deauville half marathon in particular here they were off the front for quite a while um, he was joined by Jonas Gregor who had three unhappy years with Astana before joining the Uno X team these are all facts I couldn't really get out in the commentary today because we were only commentating for highlights anyway they were caught with 35 kilometers to go by a peloton who were interested in setting it up for their bunch sprinters a couple of little lumps and bumps on the way though one of them uh, provided an opportunity uh, the last little cat uncategorized climb the sprint for Nielsen Paulus, the American from EF Education Easy Post, to clip off the front to take the King of the Mountains points and indeed uh, a load of bonus seconds as well as ahead of a very alert Tadej Pogacar. And briefly, there was a split in the peloton as Josef, Jonas Vingegaard from Jumbo Visma was caught out. Then uh, that all came back together again and uh, something else happened, David. Ah, I can't remember. But uh, yeah, the, for a while, Pierre Latour. What? Pierre Latour. Yeah. Oh no, yes, I've got it wrong, haven't I? Anyway, that Ta was the previous climb and then they hit the bonus yeah. seconds. That's right. And then Tadej Pogacar, this time with Jonas Vingegaard on his wheel and Pierre Latour. And those three riders were off the front for a little bit. It looked like that, that move might stick. But then Pogacar and Vingegaard sat up, came back. Uh, Pierre Latour battled on. They were caught and then it was set up for the sprint. And in the end, Tim Malia won. But you forgot to mention almost the Nelson Palace that went. Tadej Pogacar was immediately on. That's on. right. And that's Jonas when Vingegaard Vingegaard went up to him. Yeah. And then he refused to, to ride. Yeah. And that scuppered it. Scuppered and the it. final break. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yeah. 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 Because he had uh, Olaf Koy behind for the sprint. Yeah. Basically, is, yeah. was his reason, I think. Yeah. 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 Do you enjoy it, though, Pete? From I, watching on. Yeah. Uh, I had rugby with Axel. Um, so I got back <laughs> oh. with 19 kilometers to go. It, there'd just been a split, and it was just before the first in the on the run into the first uh, to the last sorry um, climb with the bonus second. So I did that enjoy was it. The really enjoyed we, it. We commented Great on. bike racing, wasn't it? It was really good bike racing. It's a shame. The only thing missing was a bit of wind. It was still as anything. Out so there how today. did it split? Before when when I arrived and with 19 kilometers to go, wh why was it split? Uh, that that was climb? the move oh, okay. yeah. from Tari Pogacar yeah. and Nielsen Paulus and Jonas Vingegaar. Oh, so they were away split. before. Then eventually Nielsen they Paulus was up, away on his own. As they sat up, um, and Paulus went off the front, ah, okay. and Pogacar and Vingegaard went back. That was when the peloton got back to that group that had been split off the front yeah. from the Nielsen Paulus attack. Yeah, but it was strange because it seemed like a really good move for Groupama to ride because yeah. they had three or four riders up there including Godu their GC rider and the sprinter Demar yeah. who got third at yeah. the top of that climb behind yeah. Paulus and Pogacar yeah that was amazing um, but then they just kind of everyone just chilled out and then Demar got nowhere in the sprint anyway yeah <laughs> so anyway bike yeah. racing 2020 hindsight yeah David and I got very excited at one point because we thought that David Godu wasn't to, wasn't in that front group and we thought that live on the road Groupama FDJ were having to figure out whether they'd ride for Demar uh. and sacrifice Godu's GC hopes because you know they've, those two have had beef haven't they yeah, yeah. at uh, this day and age you can never sacrifice the GC result can you in this day and age um, also yeah, yeah. it's been a while since I've had <coughs> two hitters like Bogaccia and um, Vinegard like 
you know, even at this early in the season when they arrive in Pyrenees and so much is yeah. on just on them two. Like I'm trying to think back to when that was, when that last happened really. You know, there's maybe Froome and Contador, but at this part of the season already, it's, it's epic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. David, David, we're sharing a commentary booth here, Pete, as you right. very well yeah. know, because, you know, down in timeline and we're, we're literally recording on different laptops because technical have to and David's laptop is so low on batteries that just had to run out and find his charger and he's just plugging it in Sorry, again I fixed, it. The day. I fixed, fixed it. it he's fixed it yeah Pogacar and Vingegaard at Paris-Nice I can't remember the last time do you think it was Contador and Froome do you think they used to regularly go to Paris-Nice together I'm just trying to think of a race like you know early season before the tour where there was where there was two you know Tour de France champions fighting out and I'm trying to think back yeah, I, I, can't I can't think of any, and especially when they're on form because they both won races. Yeah. So it's kind of, and it's, they showed immediately the, mo- the moments got hard. They were both there. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear? Oh no, of course you didn't hear because you haven't heard our commentary because we weren't live. Yeah, well, I went <laughs> to put it on. I was like, "Where is it?" I thought. Yeah, and then I was like, yeah. "Oh, it's just the highlights, isn't it?" It's just the highlights. Yeah, we're just doing the highlights. But if you'd heard the highlights commentary, or if you were about to hear the highlights, that w- no, it's just a little bit of intel that um, Freeboss gave us because he's out at the race, Pete that apparently, <coughs> I think he was asking around, why did Tadej Pogacar not go to Stradibianchi? Because his teammate, Tim Wellens, did go to Stradibianchi, and then they got him to the start line at, at Paris-Nice. <coughs> He's the only rider, actually, to have doubled up and done both. <coughs> Sorry, keep coughing. But the reason that they gave was that they thought that... <laughs> they thought Pogacar would go to Stradibianchi and win... And that would be really annoying because then he'd have to do the podium protocol and all the anti-doping and the um, uh, the interviews and all the oh, media yeah. and the press conference. And he'd miss his flight to Paris-Nice. <laughs> and that was the only reason. <laughs> Apparently that was the reason he didn't do no, Stradibianchi. N- no, nothing about recovery or marginal gains or anything no. else. Just <laughs> but it, then was, it was just he'd have missed his Ryanair flight or whatever. <laughs> you know, from yeah. Florida. But then Pete, I thought this is so pro-cycling because it's Tadej Pogacar and he's paid gazillions and the team's got gazillions. Why not just have a private jet ready for him? That's so true. Yeah. You know, they're worried about kind of the Swanier driving to the airport, missing probably his Ryanair flight. Oh, and it's so well, guys, true, isn't it? You know, he probably could I mean, have, how could far have had a helicopter and a what, what, PJ the, what even is the ready to go. It's a chunky drive. What, uh, you mean yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, in comparison, you know, the drive's probably not even that far. And then if you think if you just jump on a, yeah. on a <laughs> PJ, yeah. Yeah. turn up in Paris, ready to go. A PJ. Is that what you guys (laughs) call it? A PJ? Yeah. Yeah. I learned that from Cal, actually. I was like, what do you mean? I'm not bringing my pyjamas with me. (laughs) Jet, lad. It's Uh. a jet. Oh, right. (laughs) Jet. Yeah, but uh, we've heard about Mark Cavendish's shonky PJs. The the one that tried to get you to the start line in Corsica and went backfired on you horribly. (laughs) Yeah. Border control. Pete, what's your history with Paris-Nice like? Never rode at once. Never rode it. I was oh, going to say, I can't really picture Pete Kenny. After at, watching it for many years, I was... Yeah, it's not for me. But that often happens. Pro cyclists will have whole careers where they can stick to Paris-Nice or tirreno Adriatico, yeah. And it's kind of... And then the people who do Tirreno say, I'd never do Paris-Nice because yeah. Yeah. it's just horrible. And then the people who do Paris-Nice, well, they never say Tirreno's horrible, but they just think Tirreno's soft. Because like all the classics riders go to Paris Nice, too gelato. Yeah, it's, too espresso. it's, it's like Luke Tirreno is like, more of the kind of easy he, going, he, but it's he, not. Is it's he hard doing well, this year? But it's just very different. But he I always rode Paris Nice. Yeah, very. He, Luke rides very Paris Nice, isn't he? Yeah, mm. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, why would you ever? Why family. would you ever do Paranis if you can do Torino? <laughs> mm. It's true it's though, true. isn't it? I mean, I don't know if that's it's. Oh, it just does look hard, Paranis, doesn't oh, it? it? Just looks miserable and hard. Just as grey, just grey. It's grim. Grim's the word, Pete. Yeah. As soon as it went on, we were like, "This looks like Paranis." Yeah. Oh, it's like grim. It's like farm. It's like you're going through farmland that's really flat and exposed, and the vegetables that are growing in the fields are the kind of vegetables that you don't really want to have to eat unless you're in a kind of food mm. crisis. It's, it's you know, indistinguishable beetroot. farming, and it just like okay. so looks like a yeah. battle and a fight all day long on those small roads, and yeah. it's just mm. like that can wait for July, you know. <laughs> Wait for July. <laughs> so when did you normally make? When did you normally make your seasonal debut then at Torino, Pete? Was that because uh, seasonal debut? Uh, yeah. No, you did a bit of UAE, man, obviously. Bit of, yeah. Bit of man, bit of um, down under. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's all the warm races, isn't it? Catalonia, Torino, those type of races. Yeah. Catalonia, of course. Mm. Yeah. But I was, yeah. Uh, was quite. I was, then I would go on a sabbatical, wouldn't I, for like a couple of months, and then come back for like <laughs> Dauphiné. <laughs> retire, <laughs> yeah. Semi-retire for a couple of months and then come back when the weather was nicer. Uh, brilliant. There were some good facts today. Where was th where was the um was that on the course? The, the, the it passed, we passed an airfield on the course really early on in the race, where um where some f French aviator um, of yesteryear in 1913 produced a bit of history. I can't remember the name of the airfield. Or indeed the aviator, <laughs> but um, he was the uh, he was the first. Here we go. Adolphe Peugeot is the name of the aviator, and he he was based in this um in this airfield in uh, nineteen thirteen March nineteen thirteen. He became the first person to jump out of an aeroplane, yeah, right, using a parachute, and he obviously survived. Yeah, and but honestly, how high? Actually, I told you this. I'll ask Pete instead. Like 1913, Pete, mm -hmm. first person to jump out of an aeroplane and survive using a parachute. How high off the ground do you think he was? Well, it has to in, be a certain meters for the parachute. In meters, to exactly, work. exactly. Uh, on the flight back from Abu Dhabi, I think we were cruising at like 36,000 meters altitude. Yeah, so I'm this is 1913. So yeah, and then go down from there, uh, 8,000 meters. You're talking. This, this is you're the 8,000 oh, eight eight meters feet. feet. Oh, feet, 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 feet on the yeah, about 30. Yeah, yeah 36,000 feet. Yeah, yeah so you're saying like 8,000 feet, so that's about maybe 3,000 meters. No, something like that. Yeah, okay, I'll go a bit higher because Alpduez is 2,000, isn't it? So, yeah, let's take yeah. it up to let's. I'll work in meters and you can um, translate. Yeah, uh, go on, I'll go 8,000 meters. You're going 8,000 meters, 8Ks. That's still 8K like up, jumping out of an airplane, 8K up. And and you'd, you'd have Hype plenty Everest. of time to you'd have plenty of time to open your parachute, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah. up, yeah, I reckon. Yeah, right. <laughs> Adolphe Peugeot opened. Well, he jumped out of the aeroplane, two hundred meters off the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did he survive? But it was what was it? Nineteen twelve. Was the parachute already open? Nineteen thirteen. Well, yeah, it probably was. He probably just like had it in his hand. <laughs> But wait, this Pete, it gets better. Yeah. So, because uh, I read the whole Wikipedia thing. Yeah. Uh, he jumped out and he watched the plane yeah. kind of start to climb up and almost do a loop. And he was like, ooh, That's hang on a second. That's an interesting thing. Maybe. So then he then he went got back in the plane another day and did a loop the loop. He was the first person to do a loop <laughs> and the he loop. Thought, well, he ended up being the second because then he found out a Russian aviator oh had done no. it 10 days before. Hey, this guy, yeah. whoever he is. But he was the first person to fly a plane loved, upside down. He would have loved Pyrenees, like... 
It's right yeah. up. Oh, totally. Was, yeah, he would have not done Tirana. Tirana would have been too soft for him. His nickname was the Roi du Ciel, the King of the Sky. Um, <laughs> not surprised. And, but he had. But the amazing thing is, he, because of that, that David, I hadn't realised that he had. He was only the second person, but he became famous in Germany. And bear in mind, this is 1930. He's barely in the sky though, at 200 meters. Like, I, I literally, I don't know how he did that. I mean, that just seems ridiculous. But he he became he became famous as this kind of like amazing stunt pilot in 1913, mm. spring of 1913. Think how soon that is before the outbreak of the First World War. And he was particularly famous in Germany. And he started to gain international customers and become this famous um, trainer of fighter pilots. And he trained a lot of the German fighter pilots. And then war broke out. And of course, he became a fighter pilot, and he was like one of the big French aces involved for un, you know unknowable amounts of sort of like downs. You know, he shot down a, a huge amount of German aircraft, but eventually his luck ran out. And in in August wow. 1915, yeah. Pegu get this, Pegu was shot down and killed by Unteroffizier Otto Kandulski, who had been his pupil. He trained what? him. What? Yeah. Yeah, how about yeah, that? Mad, he was just—he was, like, was just twen- twenty-six how years of age. Big these guys would be at this day and age if if there was Instagram around, you know, like at King oh. of the Sky. You know, this guy. <laughs> this guy's about to jump out of God, an airplane so at two hundred meters altitude, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's a better nickname than the shark, isn't it? <laughs> oh God, yeah. But you know what? So Pete also because in nineteen the planes didn't even go that high. Froom dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I guess yeah. they they only flew like under a thousand meters, probably. Yeah, they wouldn't have got. Yeah, do you think that was a ceiling maximum yeah, ceiling? They weren't powerful enough. No. I don't know how high they could go. They'd probably go higher than that. Yeah, but they cruised around pretty like low. Go kart engines, didn't like they? Hundred miles an hour. Made of balsa wood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, terrifying. Uh, the good old days. But anyway, he was shot down. <laughs> he was just twenty. He was twenty six years of age when he died. And but then, as I say, Otto Kan- Kandulski had been trained by him. And when he found out, Kandulski found out who he'd shot down, i.e., his mentor, you know, the great Pegul. He um, he then the same German crew flew over in, in recognition of the the, the, the the fighter that they you know shot down. Flew over the, the the front line and dropped a funeral wreath as a mark of respect behind French lines. I'm thinking of. One thing right now, and sorry, who's the producer who listens to our podcast? Producer? What we don't mm. have a producer. It's just me. You no, no, know the, I mean? the film, the film. Mark Jenkins. Yeah, Mark Jenkins. The right. film Listen director. Up. Mark Jenkins. This Mark. would make a brilliant film. I'm thinking Top Gun yeah. style. Yeah. You know, a lot yeah. slower. Yeah. It would be yeah, be, it would be a lot slower. But I mean, just if you if you look at what's involved, like the mentor. <laughs> shooting down the student the pupil oh, it's incredible it's golden yeah and then also his team going story. to f- you could obviously elaborate on the story a bit going to find yeah. the mentor and hunt him down you know yeah, yeah. yeah. Tom, Tom Cruise Tom Cruise he could Tom get away Cruise. with playing a twi- yeah. he could get away with playing a 26 year old still I think especially with like CGI and he still, and he'd jump out the plane with all the AI CGI stuff they could just like 26 year old him just and he'd do his he own is. stunts wouldn't he he'd definitely be up for doing the 200 meter jump like no <laughs> no hesitation <laughs> He definitely do no it. Imagine the sound effects in the cinema yeah. as he jumps out of the airplane, two hundred meters above altitude, uh, two hundred meters altitude, and the parachute just like flapping around. Almost getting <laughs> They'd have to do super slow stop. motion because <laughs> it all be over so quickly. He could elaborate so much, you know. It doesn't. He'd stay uh, true to the story a little bit, but it's two thousand and twenty-three, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But then you want him like slowly floating in like 
he'd only have about five seconds till he hit the ground. Yeah. <laughs> but he'd need a slow mo from watching the plane That's kind of slowly it. go up and him having this kind of like light bulb moment. Of as, like, he's, as he's fumbling around trying to get his parachute up, go, yeah. oh, look at that. It's quite interesting oh, look at what that, that airplane's doing. <laughs> 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 I must make a note of that. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Broke my legs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You wouldn't want any moments where you're sort of faffing around like you do when you can't remember whether you put your wallet in your back pocket or like that. And you're just patting oh, your pocket. Your going, phone? Oh wait! You got no wasted time at all. I also love this. I also love the fact, yeah, that he did this at a kind of an air show and lots of people watching, and he just jumped out of the plane, having no idea what the plane was going to (laughs) do, like where it was going to land. Like he was surprised that it went up and started doing loop the loop. (laughs) (laughs) It's like health and safety. It's like, oh, didn't expect that to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think? Do you think the plane? Was unmanned. Do you think he'd been flying it? It was. It oh, was, it was a sacrificial plane. Oh, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. Yeah. So he. Oh, d- sorry. Oh, yeah, I, I hadn't realised that. So he'd been. Fl- oh, wait, it gets better. So he was <laughs> flying it. Thought, right, I'm bored of this plane. I'll just yeah. jump out of it. Jesus. So he, he, he let, well, let it go. Just scram- Just jumped out. Honestly, you had a lot of story in there. Destroying. You know. Yeah. It's. Well, the plane would have to then fly around and like hit somebody. Oh like, yeah, you know, it has to be like I don't a really know, maybe, dramatic. Maybe, maybe the in as in the build up to the film, he like meets someone and you're getting a bit of context and background, and it's a love of his life. And the plane he's flying that he jumps out of and leaves does the half loop the loop, comes down and actually kills his the love of his life. <laughs> there you go. Now we got a story. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, what was that pilot at the Tour de France last year when you and Pete in Calais? And um, oh, he was the guy. He was the guy who. Uh, Failed before Blériot uh, across the channel. Actually, uh, Pegu was flying a Blériot plane, wasn't he, when he did these stunts? Oh, uh, that's but, um, right. But yeah, Blériot was the first person who managed to get across the channel. Your man there mm. on the on the, mm. the Wat van Art stage mm. into Calais. There was that monument on the final climb, mm. just over the top yeah. of the final climb, to uh, the guy who n- not been oh, able yeah. to do it and he kept ditching in the sea. Yeah. I think he tried it several times. Well, he was one because I just think of that. I think he was a British character. I think he was British. I oh, have yeah, to go look back through my photos. But, but yeah, yeah. he did. He then did an air show in the UK and crashed it into a hangar roof. And then everyone thought he's died and just walked out, sat on the edge, dangled his legs and lit a cigarette. <laughs> oh, proper chaps. That yeah. is it. Off the, oh, yeah. I hope he lit the cigarette off the burning wreck of his aeroplane. Yeah. Like that, just like, yeah. <laughs> so, so he yeah. could like, the guy we're talking about the, with the film, he could like I love it. go he to the lover's life, film. like close her, so her eyes are open, she's dead. He could like close her eyelids and then just walk off <laughs> and sit down and light a cigarette. Yeah, and then yeah. it goes on to the yeah, next okay. scene where right. he's like, you know, going for the loop to loop and it's for her it, in her now, memory. And now his whole life is dedicated to this because he's lost his love. It's, it has yeah. to be. He yeah. has to do greater and greater things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But okay. d- did you realise, Pete, because I didn't realise that. But is this you know, a cycling fr- podcast? Yeah. Do you know, <laughs> <laughs> bringing it back to tennis. Tennis? <laughs> bringing it back, yeah, bringing it back to tennis, Pete. <laughs> did you know, you know, the fr- you know the French Open um, yeah. in Paris? You know what happens at Roland Garros? Mm-hmm. Well, Roland Garros, do you know who he was? I've only no. just found out. He was, a, he was a French fighter plane, ace. He was a big rival of, um, of Pegu himself. Yeah, Roland Garros. Had no idea. I always thought he was a tennisist. Uh, all right. But he, so he wasn't a tennis player? He was so a, like tennis a French player. Hero. Oh, hang on. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Eugene Adrian Roland Garros, Georges Garros, began his career in aviation in 1909 and performed many early feats before joining the French army and becoming the earliest fighter pilot, one of the aces of World War I. In 1928, the Roland Garros Stadium was named in his honour. Is that so because he was an ace? You know, 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. So, do you know what? No, in tennis, you have to have like more than five downs. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> a deuce. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Don't know. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, um, me and David are locked in here now for the next seven days. Pete, what mm -hmm. you what your, what your plans? What you what are you up to? Uh, I fly to Portugal on Tuesday for training camp and then um, a couple of races. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You you need to send me some details about the race. Because I've at the moment I'm coming from Stradibian, uh, not Stradibian, Milan San Remo. I've booked a flight from Nice after Milan San Remo to Lisbon. Oh yeah, and that's it. Uh, and that's it. I've got no further plans, but I, we'll I wanted to hook up with you and uh, get in the Trinity car. To yeah, do you're going to come along for this. That's the first day 100%. or two of the stage race. Exactly, Valentine. and then fly back. But I, at the moment, I need a bit more details other than it's in Portugal. Yeah, yeah no, that's what the, a lot of my team are like, to be honest, but. Be <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I will. I'll um, get that to you, Ned. That was uh, thank my to-do list. Okay, to-do list. Uh, yeah, should, we, so should we mention Stradabianchi? Yeah, what, uh, yeah, oh. we should mention Stradabianchi. Because we all yeah. watched it, didn't we? We were WhatsApping each other. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. quality. In different ways. It was real quality. It was good. Yeah. I mean, it Pitters, did look like... I mean, that was nuts. Yeah. He just... He read the race really well, apart from being super strong, didn't he? he I, I think he's just... I think it was masterful. Do you think it was his best ride on the road? I think possibly it was. I mean, I still yeah. think Abduez was magnificent. It's a breakaway, though, wasn't it? Yeah, but With the way he did it. It, it no, was this incredible. Was, this was but it was a breakaway. This is a one-day yeah. race. Yeah, yeah, true. To do the way he did. It, yeah. I mean, it was pretty brave. Yeah, it's just a delight to watch, isn't he? On those gravel sections. Mm. I mean, on the sense. You know, well, um, embarrass. Imagine Pete being being caught by Tom Pidcock on the gravel and then just a humili humiliation of kind of being dropped on the next corner. Yeah. Oh, I know. Which is what? It would just be awful. There's nothing you can do about it. <sighs> no. And, and, and to be fair, when he did get across to those two at the front of the race, he didn't once ask them for any work or anything, did he? He just no. No. he just, well, he just got to the front, sat on the front, and he just, in the total confidence and expectation that he, they just wouldn't be able to hold his wheel for much longer. And, yeah. And that's what happened. But then to, to not sort of panic when... He saw that time gap shrinking and then growing and then shrinking again to the disorganized chase behind. I thought it was just yeah. a, that was I think it's yeah. really hard to explain to people watch as well how hard those last climbs are. And after oh, having been off the front of the 20 seconds for so long and he still was going so fast up into Siena. Yeah. It was crazy. It was like, wow, because, yeah. you know, I'd have lost. He had tapped that like he was. Most riders he had would lose minutes. Wheel. <laughs> yeah. 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 Indeed. Good bike rider, isn't he? He's, He's a great right, bike rider. Yeah. yeah, fairly yeah, decent. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. And what about the women's race? Because I thought that was brilliant. That finish, I absolutely loved it. I started. <laughs> it so I started watching it, and then I had to go somewhere, so I missed the last twenty kilometers. Ah, uh, well, Demi Follering had attacked, and then Lottie Kopecky got across to her and their teammates. And the expectation was because Kopecky won it last year that Vollering would just empty herself and set it up for Kopecky, who's got the faster sprint in theory. But Vollering was having none of it. None of it. And when they caught the lone leader, Vollering just like didn't sit up and just cantered on the on the Santa Catarina. Uh, but got she up, also got, got put in the barriers. Yeah, she did on the like on the badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the lone leader. Yeah. By the yeah, and mm. um, and then just get and just it's such a slender margin. I think it's by far the closest Stradivianchi mm. ever at the finish line. And they were teammates. It's brilliant. And they just could not look at each other in the eye at uh, all at the, end, at the finish. Honestly, we talk about like finish line photos. Like, if you just, like, take the race out of it and whatever race it is, if there's one race I would like to win to have that as, like, either a yeah. canvas or anything in my mm. house, 
it's it's so epic, isn't it? The way like the crowd isn't is it? so like they're almost I don't know like bundled so close together. Yeah, and yeah. oh, it's just yeah. It's it looks like best. one of those old black and white photos. Of yeah, exactly. Bike racing yeah, like, where there's just crowds like so epic. dozens deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, because they are just yeah. they're really Photoshop one for you, Pete. What's that? Oh yeah, I should put my head on pictures winning <laughs> Sienna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine doing that. Just having your like your home study filled with like Photoshop pictures of you winning <laughs> on Alpduez with loads of crowds and it's such chat G, chat GBT. Chat GBT, right? yeah. Yeah. Oh actually do that quickly, just read. Oh, shall I do that? Yeah, I asked Chat GBT because I was really nervous about it. this is my debut on commentary. Um I had, this is my first race and i kind of like I haven't done any commentating. You should have just gave us a message, Ned. Be right. I'll just sort you out. But you're fully up to speed. I was really I was getting really kind of like worried about it all. Um where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Um I can't find it now. I'll have to wait a minute. Um so I asked ChatGBT the following question this morning. Um where is it? Here we go. I said to ChatGBT, I have forgotten how to commentate on cycling. Can you offer me any tips? And ChatGBT said, Certainly. Commentating on cycling can be exciting and engaging, and there are a few tips that can provide you, help provide you an, infor an informative and entertaining commentary. And then went through some various stuff like know the race route, point one. Yeah. Know the cyclists, point two. <laughs> point three, which I think I excelled at quite early doors today, mm. use descriptive language, David. You're very good at that. That is one thank of your fortes. Thank you very much. I used the word frigid, which is a, my favourite adjective of the frigid day. I think I've used it on the podcast. Button. Frigid, yeah. Um, four, be, be enthusiastic. That, one, that word. Yeah, true. It's ambiguous. Four, be enthusiastic. Ambiguous I, I was is a good one as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Uh, I, I, you have moved so far beyond the days of needing your little book of words, Pete. You're, you're way, you've left that way behind you, those, those oh, no, years. Still, still, I've went one sec. I keep it close by <laughs> at all times. <laughs> I still got it. <laughs> there it is. Pete's book of words. Ambiguous is going so in there tonight. Frigid and ambiguous. Four, be enthusiastic. I was definitely enthusiastic towards the end. In fact, I was enthusiastic throughout. I really enjoyed doing it. Uh, five, collaborate with your co-commentator. That's, well, a, that's an important that one. Well, Ned, thank you. I can't vouch for yeah. whether I was collaborative, David. So only you can judge that. Well, you are. You don't like um, tap me on the knee and tell me to stop talking, <laughs> which I have had happen to me by another commentator okay. many years ago. Right. Okay. Um, no, you're good. You, you give me space. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and finally, point six, stay current with the race. Keep up to date with the latest developments in the race, such as crashes or breakaways. Missed it's it's yeah. literally faultless advice. Faultless advice. It is, actually. The next, yeah. the next thing would be to get ChatGPT to do the whole commentary. Live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably could. <laughs> Just do it all live. <laughs> anyway, um, should we do this again tomorrow? Are yeah. you going to be around, Pete? Yeah, right. yeah, I'll be around tomorrow. Why not? Cool. All right. Lovely. See you tomorrow. All right. See, all right. See you, guys. Bye. Bye.